0: section 12 of the golden bough part 3 the dying god by sir james george fraser this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recorded by leon Harvey. chapter 8 the killing of the tree spirit part 1 the its sun-tide mummers the single combat of the king of the wood and nemai was probably a mitigation of an older custom of putting him to death at the end of a fixed period. It remains to ask what, light the custom of killing the divine king or priest, sheds upon the special subject of our inquiry. In the first part of this work we saw reason to suppose that the king of the wood at Nemai was regarded as an incarnation of a tree spirit, or of the spirit of vegetation and that as such he would be endowed in the belief of his worshippers with the magical power of making the trees to bear fruit the crops to grow and so on his life must therefore have been held very precarious by his worshippers and was probably hedged in by a system of elaborate precautions or taboos like those by which in so many places the life of the man-god has been guided against the malignant influence of demons and sorcerers but we have seen that the very value attached to the life of the man-god Necessitates his violent death as the only means of preserving it from the inevitable decay of age the same reasoning would apply to the king of the wood he too had to be killed in order that the divine spirit incarnated in him might be transferred in its integrity to his successor the rule that he held office till the stronger should slay him might be supposed to secure both the preservation of his divine life in full vigour and its transference to a suitable successor as soon as that vigour began to be impaired for so long as he could maintain his position by the strong hand it might be inferred that his natural force was not abated whereas his defeat and death at the hands of another proved that his strength was beginning to fail and was time his divine life should be lodged in a less dilapidated tabernacle this explanation that the rule of the king of the wood had to be slain by his successor at least renders that rule perfectly intelligible It is strongly supported by the theory and practice of the Shilak, who put the divine king to death at the first signs of failing health, lest his decrepitude should entail a corresponding failure of vital energy on the corn, the cattle, and men. Moreover, it is countenanced by the analogy of the Chitome, upon whose life the existence of the world was supposed to hang, and who was therefore slain by his successor as soon as he showed signs of breaking up. Again, the terms of which, in latter times, the kings of calicut held office are identical with those attached to the office of king of the wood except that whereas the former might be assailed by a candidate at any time the king of calicut might only be attacked once every twelve years but as a leave granted to the king of calicut to reign so long as he could defend himself against all comers was a mitigation of the old rule which set a fixed term to his life so we may conjecture that the similar permission granted to the king of the wood was in mitigation of an older custom of putting him to death at the end of a definite period in both cases, the new rule gave to the godman at least a chance for his life, which, under the old rule, was denied him, and people probably reconciled themselves to the change by reflecting that so long as the godman could maintain himself by the sword against all assaults, there was no reason to apprehend how the fatal decay had set him. Custom of killing the human representatives of the tree spirit. The conjecture that the king of the wood was formally put to death at the expiry of a fixed term without being allowed a chance for his life will be confirmed if evidence can be adduced of a custom of periodically killing his counterparts, human representatives of the tree spirit, in northern Europe. Now, in point of fact, such a custom has left unmistakable traces of itself in the rural festivals of the peasantry. To take examples, Bavarian customs of beheading the representatives of the tree spirit in whitsuntide. At Niederborung in Lower Bavaria, the whitsuntide representative of the tree spirit, the Fingstil, as he was called, was clad from top to toe in leaves and flowers. On his head he wore a high pointed cap, the ends of which rested on his shoulders, only two holes being left in it for his eyes. The cap was covered with water flowers and surmounted with a nose of peonies the sleeves of his coat were also made of water-plants and the rest of his body was enveloped in alder and hazel leaves on each side of him marched a boy holding up one of the Finstal's arms these two boys carried drawn swords and so did most of the others who formed the procession they stopped at every house where they hoped to receive a present and the people in hiding serviced the leaf-clad boy with water all rejoiced when he was well drenched finally waded into the brook up to his middle whereupon one of the boys, standing on the bridge, pretended to cut off his head. At Wyrmlingland in Swabia, a score of young fellows dressed themselves on Whit Monday in white shirts and white trousers and red scarves round their waists and swords hanging from the scarves. They ride on horseback into the wood, led by two trumpeteers blowing their trumpets. In the wood they cut down leafy oak branches, in which they enveloped from head to foot him, who was the last of their number to ride out of the village. His legs, however, are encased separately, so that he may be able to mount his horse again. Further, they give him a long artificial neck, an artificial head, and a false face on top of it. Then the May tree is cut. Generally an or beech about ten feet high, and being decked with coloured handkerchiefs and ribbons, is entrusted to a special May bearer. The cavalcade then returns with music and song to the village among the personages who figure in the procession are a moorish king with a sooty face and a crown on his head a doctor iron beard a corporal and an executioner they halt on the village green and each of the characters makes a speech in rhyme the executioner announces that the leaf-clad man has been condemned to death and cuts off his false head then the riders face to the may tree which has been set up a little way off the first man succeeds in wrenching it from the ground as he gallops past keeps it with all his decorations. The ceremony is observed every second or third year. Killing the Wild Man in Saxony and Bohemia In Saxony and Thuringia, there is a whitsundine ceremony called Chasing the Wild Man Out of the Bush, or Fetching the Wild Man Out of the Wood. A young fellow is enveloped in leaves or moss and called the wild man. He hides in the wood, and the other lads of the village go out to seek him. They find him, lead him captive out of the wood, and fire at him with blank muskets. He falls like dead to the ground, but a lad dressed as a doctor bleeds him, and he comes back to life again. At this they rejoice, and binding him fast on a wagon, they take him to the village, where they tell the people how they have caught the wild man. At every house they receive a gift. In the Erzberg, the following custom was annually observed at Chauventide about the beginning of the 17th century. Two men, disguised as wild men, the one in brushwood and moss, the other in straw, were led about the streets, and last taken to the marketplace, where they were chased up and down, shot and stabbed. Before falling, they reeled about with strange gestures and spurted blood on the people from bladders which they carried. When they were down, the huntsmen placed them on boards and carried them to the alehouse. The miners marching beside them and whining blasts on their mining tools, as if they had taken a noble care of game. A very similar Schoventard custom is still observed near Schluckenau in Bohemia a man dressed up as a wild man is chased through several streets till he comes to a narrow lane across which a cord is stretched he stumbles over the cord and falling to the ground is overtaken and caught by his pursuers the executioner runs up and stabs with his sword a bladder filled with blood which the wild man wears round his body so the wild man dies while a stream of blood reddens the ground Next day, a straw man, made up to look like the wild man, is placed on a litter, and accompanied by a great crowd, is taken to a pool into which it is thrown by the executioner. The ceremony is called Burying the Carnival. Beheading the King on Whit Monday in Bohemia In Simic, Bohemia, the custom of beheading the king is observed on Whit Monday. A troop of young people disguise themselves. Each is girt with a girdle of bark and carries a wooden sword and a trumpet of willow bark. The king wears a robe of tree bark, adorned with flowers. On his head is a crown of bark decked with flowers and branches. His feet are wound about with ferns. A mask hides his face, and for a sceptre he has a hawthorn switch in his hand. A lad leads him through the village by a rope fastened to his foot, while the rest dance about, blow their trumpets and whistle. In every farmhouse the king is chased round the room, and... One of the troop, being much noise and outcry, strikes with his sword a blow on the king's robe of bark till it rings again. Then a gratuity is demanded. The ceremony of decapitation, which is here somewhat slurred over, is carried out with a greater semblance of reality in other parts of Bohemia. Thus in some villages of the koningrats district on Wint Monday, the girls assemble under one lime tree, and the young men under another, all dressed in their best and tricked out with ribbons. The young men twine a garland for the queen. And the girls another for the king when they have chosen the king and queen they all go in procession two and two into the alehouse from the balcony of which the crier proclaims the names of their king and queen both of them invested with the insignia of their office and are crowned with the garlands while their music plays up then someone gets on a bench and accuses the king of various offences such as ill-treating the cattle the king appeals to witnesses and a trial ensues at the close of which the judge who carries a white wand as his badge of office, pronounces a verdict of guilty or not guilty if the verdict is guilty the judge breaks his wand the king kneels on a white cloth all heads are barred and a soldier sets three or four hats one above the other on his majesty's head the judge then proclaims the word guilty thrice in a loud voice and orders the cry to behead the king the cry obeys by striking off the king's hats with a wooden sword Beheading the king on Whit Monday in Bohemia. But perhaps for our purpose, the most instructive of these mimic executions is the following Bohemian one, which has been in part described already. In some places of the Pilsen district, Bohemia, on Whit Monday, the king is dressed in bark, ornamented with flowers and ribbons. He wears a crown of gilt paper and rides a horse, which is also decked with flowers. And, headed by a judge, an executioner, and other characters, and followed by a train of soldiers all mounted he rides to the village square where a hut or arbour of green boughs has been erected under the may trees which are furs freshly cut peeled to the top and dressed with flowers and ribbons after the dames and maidens of the village have been criticised and a frog beheaded in the way already described the cavalcade rides to a place privily determined upon in a straight broad street here they draw up in two lines and the king takes to flight. He is given a short start, and rides off at full speed, pursued by the whole troop. If they fail to catch him, he remains king for another year, and his companions must pay his score at the ale house in the evening. But if they overtake and catch him, he is scourged with hazel rods, and beaten with the wooden sword to compel to dismount. Then the executioner asks, Shall I behead this king? The answer is given, Behead him. The executioner branches his axe, and with the words, one, two, three, let the king headless be. He strikes off the king's crowd. Amid the loud cries of the bystanders, the king sinks to the ground. Then he is laid on a bier and carried to the nearest farmhouse. The leaf clad mummers in these customs represent the tree spirit or spirit of vegetation. In most of the personages who are thus slain in mimicry, it is impossible not to recognize representatives of the tree spirit or spirit of vegetation as he is supposed to manifest himself in spring. The bark, leaves, and flowers in which the actors are dressed, and the season, the year in which they appear, show that they belong to the same class as a grass king, king of the May, jack-in-the-green, and other representatives of the vernal spirit of vegetation, which we examine in the first part of this work. As if to remove any possible doubt on this head, we find that in two cases, these slain men are brought into direct connection with May-trees, which are the impersonal as a Makering, Grass King, and so forth, are the personal representatives of the Tree Spirit. The drenching of the Fistil with water and his wading up to the middle of the Brook are, therefore, no doubt, rain charms like those which have been already described. The Tree Spirit is killed in order to preserve its decay and ensure its survival in a vigorous successor if these personages represent as they certainly do the spirit of vegetation in spring the question arises why kill them what is the object of slaying the spirit of vegetation at any time and above all in spring when his service is most wanted the only possible answer to this question seems to be given in the explanation already proposed of the custom of killing the divine king or priest the divine life incarnate in a material immortal body is liable to be tainted and corrupted by the weakness of the frail medium in which it is for a time enshrined. And if it is to be saved from the increasing fulfillment which it must necessarily share with its human incarnation as he advances in years, it must be detached from him before, or at least as soon as he exhibits signs of decay, in order to be transferred to a vigorous successor. This is done by killing the old representative of the god and conveying the divine spirit from him to a new incarnation. The killing of the god, that is of his human incarnation, is therefore merely a necessary step in his revival or resurrection in a better form. Far from being an extinction of the divine spirit, it is only the beginning of a purer and stronger manifestation of it. If this explanation holds good of the custom of killing divine kings and priests in general, it is still more obviously applicable to the custom of annually killing the representative of the tree spirit or spirit of vegetation in spring. For the decay of plant life in winter is readily interpreted by primitive man as an affeeblement of the spirit of vegetation. The spirit has, he thinks, grown old and weak, and must therefore be renovated by being slain and brought to life in a younger and fresher form. Thus the killing of the representative of the tree spirit in spring is regarded as a means to promote and quicken the growth of vegetation. For the killing of the tree spirit is associated always, he must suppose, implicitly, and sometimes explicitly also with a revival or resurrection of him in a more youthful and vigorous form. So in the Saxon and Thuringian custom after the wild man has been shot he is brought to life again by a doctor. And the Wormlinden ceremony there figures a dr Ironbeard who probably once played a similar part. Certainly in another spring ceremony which will be described presently. Dr Ironbeard pretends to restore a dead man to life. But of this revival or resurrection of the god. We shall have more to say anon Resemblances between these North European Customs and the Rites of Nimi The points of similarity between these North European personages and the subject of our inquiry, the King of the Wood of Presto Nimi, are sufficiently striking. In these northern maskers we see kings who dress of bark and leaves, along with the hut of green boughs and the fir trees under which they hold their court proclaim them unmistakably as, like their Italian counterpart, kings of the wood. Like him they die a violent death, but like him they may escape from it for a time by their bodily strength and agility. For in several of these northern customs, the flight and pursuit of the king is a prominent part of the ceremony. And in one case at least, if the king cannot run his pursuers, he retains his life and his office for another year. In this last case, the king in fact holds office on condition of running, for his life once a year, just as the King of Calicut, at that times held office on condition of defending his life against all comers once every twelve years, and just as the priest of Nemai held office on condition of defending himself against any assault at any time. In every one of these instances, the life of the god-man is prolonged on condition of his showing, in a severe physical contest of fight or flight, that his bodily strength is not decayed, and that therefore the violent death which sooner or later is inevitable, may for the present be postponed with regard to flight it is noticeable that flight figured conspicuously both in the legend and the practice of the king of the wood he had to be a runaway slave in memory of the flight of orestes the traditional founder of the worship hence the kings of the wood are described by an ancient writer as both strong of hand and fleet of foot perhaps if we knew the ritual of the arusian grove fully we might find that the king was allowed a chance for his life by flight, like his Bohemian brother. I have already conjectured that the annual flight of the priestly king at Rome, Regifugium, was at first a flight of the same kind. In other words, that he was originally one of those divine kings who are either put to death after a fixed period or allowed to prove by the strong hand or the fleet foot that their divinity is vigorous and unpaired. One more point of resemblance may be noted between the Italian king of the wood and his northern counterparts in saxony and Thuringia, the representative of the tree-spirit after being killed is brought to life again by a doctor this is exactly what legend affirmed to have happened to the first king of the wood at nemi hippolytus or verbius who after he had been killed by his horses was restored to life by the physician Esculapius. such a legend tallies well with the theory that the slaying of the king of the wood was only a step to his revival or resurrection of his successor part two mock human sacrifices the mock killing of the leaf-clad mummers is probably a substitute for an old custom of killing them in earnest in the preceding discussion it has been assumed that the mock killing of the wild man and of the king in north european folk custom is a modern substitute for an ancient custom of killing them in earnest those who best know the tenacity of life possessed by folk custom and its tendency with the growth of civilization to dwindle from solemn ritual into a mere pagan and pastime, will be least likely to question the truth of this assumption. That human sacrifices were commonly offered by the ancestors of the civilized races of North Europe, Celts, Teutons, and Slavs, is certain. It is not, therefore, surprising that the modern peasant should do in mimicry what his forefathers did in reality. substitution of mock human sacrifices for real ones we know as a matter of fact that in other parts of the world mock human sacrifices have been substituted for real ones thus in minhasa district of celebes human victims used to be regularly sacrificed at certain festivals but through dutch influence the custom was abolished and a sham sacrifice substituted for it the victim was seated in a chair and all the usual preparations were made for sacrificing him. But at the critical moment, when the chief priest had heaved up his flashing swords, for he wielded two of them, to deal with a fatal stroke, his assistants sprang forward, their hands wrapped in cloths, to grasp and arrest the descending blades. The precaution was necessary, for the priest was wound up in such a pitch of excitement that, if left alone, he might have consummated the sacrifice. Afterwards, Neveji, made out of the stem of a banana tree was substituted for the human victim and the blood which might not be wanting was supplied by fowls near the native town of Luba, in western busoga a district of central africa there is a sacred tree of the species known as its glossy white trunk shoots up to a height of a hundred feet before it sends out branches the tree is surrounded by small fetish huts and curious arcades once, when the dry season was drawing up to an end, and the new crops were not yet ripe, the bazogas suffered from hunger. So they came to the sacred tree in canoes, of which the prows were decked with wreaths of yellow acacia, blossom, and other flowers. Landing on the shore, they stripped themselves their clothing, and wrapped ropes made of green creepers and leaves around their arms and necks. At the foot of the tree, they danced to an accompaniment of song. Then a little girl about ten years old was brought and laid at the base of the tree as if she were to be sacrificed every detail of the sacrifice was gone through in mimicry a slight cut was made in the child's neck and she was then caught up and thrown into the lake where a man stood ready to save her from drowning by native custom the girl on whom this ceremony had been performed was dedicated to a life of perpetual virginity captain burke was informed by an old chief that the indians of arizona used to offer human sacrifices at the feast of fire When the days are shortest the victim had his throat cut his breast opened and his heart taken out by one of the priests this custom was abolished by the mexicans but for a long time afterwards a modern form of it was secretly observed as follows the victim generally a young man had his throat cut and blood was allowed to flow freely but the medicine men sprinkled medicine on the gash which soon healed up and the man recovered Mock human sacrifices. So in the ritual of Artemis at Helae in Attica, a man's throat was cut and the blood allowed to gush out, but he was not killed. At the funeral of a chief in Gnaeus, slaves are sacrificed, a little of their hair is cut off, and then they are beheaded. The victims are generally purchased for the purpose, and their number is proportioned to the wealth and power of the deceased but if the number required is excessively great or cannot be procured some of the chief's own slaves undergo a sham sacrifice they are told and believe that they are about to be decapitated their heads are placed on a log and the necks struck with the back of a sword the fright drives some of them crazy when a hindu is killed or ill-treated an ape a bird of prey of a certain kind or a cobra capella in the presence of the worshippers of vishnu he must expiate his offence by a pretended sacrifice and resurrection of a human being. An incision is made in the victim's arm. The blood flows, he grows faint, falls, and feigns to die. Afterwards, he is brought to life by being sprinkled with blood drawn from the thigh of worshipper of Vishnu. The crowd of spectators is fully convinced of the reality of this simulated death and resurrection. The Malayans a cast of southern India act as devil-dancers for the purpose of exorcising demons who have taken possession of people one of their ceremonies known as accevelli has several forms all which seem to be their survivals or these imitations of human sacrifice one of these consists of a mock living burial of the principal performer who is placed in a pit which is covered with planks on the top of which a sacrifice is performed with a fire kindled with jack wood and in a plant called erina in another variety the malayan cuts his left forearm and smears his face with the blood thus drawn in samoa where every family had its god incarnate in one or more species of animals any disrespect shown to the worshipable animal either by members of the kin or by a stranger in their presence had to be atoned for by pretending to bake one of the family in a cold oven as a burnt sacrifice to appease the wrath of the offended god for example if a stranger staying in a household whose god was incarnate and cuttlefish were to catch and cook one of these creatures or a member of the family had been present where a cuttlefish was eaten the family would meet in solemn conclave and choose a man or woman to go and lie down in a cold oven where he would be covered over with leaves just as if he were really being baked while this mock sacrifice was being carried out the family prayed "O bald-headed cuttlefish forgive what has been done it was all the work of a stranger if they had not thus abased themselves before the divine cuttlefish he would undoubtedly have come and been the death of somebody by making a cuttlefish to grow in his inside mock human sacrifices carried out in effigy sometimes as in Minahasa, the pretended sacrifice is carried out not on a living person but on an effigy at the city of the sun in ancient Egypt, three men used to be sacrificed every day after the priests had stripped and examined them like calves to see whether they were without blemish and fit for the altar. But a King Amasis ordered waxen images to be substituted for the human victims. An Indian law book, the Puran, prescribes that when the sacrifice of lions, tigers or human beings is required, an image of a lion, tiger or man shall be made with butter, paste or barley meal and sacrifice instead some of the Gonds of india formerly offered human sacrifices they now sacrifice straw men which are found to answer the purpose just as well colonel dalton was told that in some of their villages the Bagats only make an image of a man in wood put clothes and ornaments on it and present it before the altar of Mahadeo. the person who officiates as priest on the occasion says o oh, Mahadeo." We sacrifice this man to you according to ancient customs. Give us rain in due season and a plentiful harvest. Then with one stroke of the axe the head of the image is struck off and the body is removed and buried. Formerly when a Siamese army was about to take the field a condemned criminal representing the enemy was put to death but a humane king caused a puppet to be substituted for the man. The effigy is felled by the blow of an axe and if it drops at the first stroke, the omen is favourable. In the East Indian island of Siau or Siau, one of the Sangui group, a child stolen from a neighbouring island used to be sacrificed every year to the spirit of a volcano in order that there might be no eruption. The victim was slowly tortured to death in the temple by a priestess, who cut off the child's ears, nose, fingers and so on, then consummated the sacrifice by splitting open the breast. The spectacle was witnessed by hundreds of people and feasting and cock-fighting went on for nine days afterwards in course of time the annual human victim was replaced by a wooden puppet which was cut to pieces in the same manner the kayans of borneo used to kill slaves at the death of the chief and nail them to the tomb in order that they might accompany the chief on his long journey to the other world and paddle the canoe in which he must travel this is no longer done but instead they put up a wooden figure of a man at the head and another of a woman at the foot of the chief's coffin as it lies in state before the funeral. And a small wooden image of a man is usually fixed on the top of the tomb to row the canoe before the dead chief. In ancient times, human sacrifices used to be offered at the graves of Mikados, and Princess of Japan, the personal attendants of the deceased king being buried alive within the prince's of the tomb. But a humane emperor ordered that clay images should thenceforth be substituted for live men and women. One of these images is now in the British Museum the debunkles of central celebes who are reported still to carry home as trophies the heads of their slain enemies resort to the following cure for certain kinds of sickness the heathen priestess cuts the likeness of a human head out of the sheath of a sago leaf and sets it up on three sticks in the courtyard of the house the patient arraying in his or her best clothes is then brought down into the court and remains there while women dance and sing round the artificial head and men perform sham fights with shield, spear, and bow just as they did or perhaps still do when they have brought back a human head from a raid after that the sick man is taken back to the house and improvement in his health is confidently expected in this ceremony the sham head is doubtless a substitute for a real one mimic sacrifices of fingers. With these mock sacrifices of human lives, we may compare mimic sacrifices of other kinds. In southern India, as in many parts of the world, it used to be customary to sacrifice joints of the fingers on certain occasions. Thus, among the morassas, when her grandchild was born in the family, the wife of the eldest son of the grandfather must have at least two joints of the third or fourth fingers of her right hand amputated at a temple of Bairava. The amputation was performed by the village carpenter with a chisel. Nowadays the custom, having been forbidden by the English government the sacrifice is performed in mimicry. Some people stick gold or silver pieces with flower paste to the ends of their fingers and then cut or pull them off. Others tie flowers around the fingers they used to be amputated and go through a pantomime of cutting the fingers by putting a chisel on the joint and then taking it away. Others again twist gold wires in the shape of rings round their fingers. These the carpenter removes and appropriates. Mimic Rite of Circumcision In New or Savage Island, in the South Pacific, the following custom continued till lately to be observed. When a boy was a few weeks old, the men assembled and a feast was made. On the village square, an awning was rigged up and the child was laid on the ground under it. An old man then approached it and performed the operation of circumcision on the infant in dumb show with his forefinger. No child was regarded as a full-born member of the tribe till he had been subjected to this rite. The natives say that real circumcision was never performed in their island, but as it was commonly practiced in Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa, we may assume that its imitation in Niu was a substitute introduced at some time or other for the actual operation. Similarly, When an adult Hindu joins the sect of the Darya or Mahadev Mahabians in Mysore, a mock rite of circumcision is performed on him instead of the real operation. A betel leaf is wrapped round the male member of the neophyte and the loose end of the leaf is slipped off instead of the prepuce. Part 3 Burying the Carnival It has been customary to kill animal gods and corn gods as well as tree spirits. Thus far, I have offered an explanation of the rule which required that the priest and nemi should be slain by a successor. The explanation claims to be more than probable. Our scanty knowledge of the custom and of its history forbids it to be more, but its probability will be augmented in proportion to the extent to which the motives and modes of thought, which it assumes, can be proved to have operated in primitive society. Hitherto, the god with whose death and resurrection we have been chiefly concerned has been the tree god. But if I can show that the custom of killing the god and the belief in his resurrection originated, or at least existed, in the hunting and pastoral stage of society when the slain god was an animal, and that it survived into the agricultural stage when the slain god was a corn, or a human being representing the corn, the probability of my explanation will have been considerably increased. This I shall attempt to do in the sequel and in the course of the discussion hope to clear up some obscurities which still remain, and to answer some objections which may have suggested themselves to the reader. Customs of burying the carnival and carrying out death. We start from the point at which we left off, the spring customs of European peasantry. Besides the ceremonies already described here, are two kindred sets of observances in which the simulated death of a divine or supernatural being is a conspicuous feature. In one of them, the being whose death is dramatically represented is a personification of the carnival. In the other, it is death himself. The other ceremony falls naturally at the end of the carnival, either on the last day of that merry season, namely Shrove Tuesday, or on the first day of Lent, namely Ash Wednesday. The date of this ceremony, the carrying or divining out of death, as it is commonly called, is not so uniformly fixed. Generally, it is the fourth Sunday in Lent which hence goes by the name of dead sunday but in some places the celebration falls a week earlier in others as among the jacks of bohemia a week later while in certain german villages of moravia it is held on the first sunday after easter perhaps as has been suggested the date may originally have been variable depending on the appearance of the first swallow or some other herald of the spring some writers regard the ceremony as slavonic in its origin Grimm thought it was a festival of the new year with the old Slavs who began their year in March we shall first take examples of the mimic death of the carnival which always falls before the other in the calendar effigy of the carnival burnt at Frosinone in Latium at Frosinone in Latium about half-way between rome and naples the dull modesty of life in a provincial Italian town is agreeably broken on the last day of the carnival by the ancient festival known as the Radica. About four o'clock in the afternoon, the town band playing lively tunes and following a great crowd proceeds to the Piazza del Plebiscito, where is the subprefecture as well as the rest of the government buildings. Here, in the middle of the square, the eyes of the expected multitude are greeted by the sight of an immense car decked with many coloured festoons and drawn by four horses mounted on the car is a huge chair on which sits enthroned the majestic figure of the carnival a man of stucco about nine feet high with a rubicund and smiling countenance enormous boots a tin helmet like those which grace the heads of officers of the italian marine and a coat of many colours embellished with strange devices adorn the outward man of this stately personage his left hand rests on the arm of the chair while with his right he gracefully salutes the crowd been moved to this act of civility by a string which is pulled by a man who modestly shrinks from publicity under the mercy seat and now the crowd surging excitedly round the car gives vent to its feelings in wild cries of joy gentle and simple being mixed up together and all dancing furiously the Satarello. a special feature of the festival is that every one must carry in his hand what is called a retica, root, by which is meant a huge leaf of the aloe, or rather the oak grave. one who ventured into the crowd without such a leaf would be unceremoniously hustled out of it, unless indeed he bore, as a substitute, a large cabbage at the end of a long stick or a bunch of grass curiously plaited. When the multitude, after a short turn, has escorted the slow-moving car to the gate of the sub they halt and the car jolting over the uneven ground rumbles into the courtyard a hush now falls on the crowd their subdued voices sounding according to the description of one who has heard them like the murmur of a troubled sea all eyes are turned anxiously to the door for which the sub-prefect himself and the other representatives of the majesty of the law are expected to issue and pay their homage to the hero of the hour a few moments of suspense, and then a storm of cheers and hand-clapping salutes the appearance of the dignitaries as they file out and, descending the staircase, take their place in the procession. The hymn of the carnival is now thundered out, utter which, amid a of deafening roar, a low leaves and cabbages are whirled aloft and descend impartially on the heads of the just and the unjust, who lend fresh zest to the proceedings by engaging in a free fight. When the preliminaries are being concluded to the satisfaction of all concerned, the procession gets under way. The rear is brought up by a cart laden with barrels of wine and policemen, the latter engaged in the congenial task of serving out wine to all who ask for it, while a most interesting struggle, accompanied by a copious discharge of yells, blows, and blasphemy, goes on among the surging crowd at the cart's tail in their anxiety not to miss the glorious opportunity of intoxicating themselves at the public expense. Finally, after the procession has paraded the principal streets in this majestic manner, the effigy of Carnival is taken to the middle of a public square, stripped of his finery, laid on a pile of wood, and burned amid the cries of the multitude, who, thundering out once more the song of the Carnival, fling their so-called roots on the pyre, and give themselves up without restraint to the pleasures of the dance. Burying the Carnival in the Abruzzi In the Abruzzi, a pasteboard figure of the carnival is carried by four grave diggers with pipes in their mouths and bottles of wine slung at their shoulder belts. In front walks the wife of the carnival, dressed in mourning and dissolved in tears. From time to time the company halts, and while the wife addresses the sympathising public, the gravediggers refresh the inner man with a pull at the bottle. In the open square, the mimic corpse is laid on a pyre, and to the roll of drums, the shrill screams of the women, and the gruff cries of the men, a light is set to it. While the figure burns, chestnuts are thrown about among the crowd. Sometimes the colonel is represented by a straw man at the top of a pole, which is borne through the town by a troop of mummers in the course of the afternoon. When evening comes on, four of the mummers hold out a quilt or sheet by the corners, and the figure of the carnal was made to tumble into it the procession is then resumed the performers weeping crocodile tears and emphasizing the poignancy of their grief by the help of saucepans and dinner bells sometimes again in the abruzi the dead carnival is personified by a living man who lies in a coffin and tended by another who acts the priest and dispenses holy water in great profusion from the bathing tub In Malta, the death of the carnival is to be mourned by women on the last day of the merry festival Clad from head to foot in black mantles, they carried through the streets of the city the linen effigy of a corpse, stuffed with straw hay and decked with leaves and oranges. As they carried it, they chanted dirges, stopping after every verse to howl like professional mourners. The custom came to an end about the year 1737. Burial of the Carnival at Lerida in Spain At Lerida in Catalonia The funeral of the carnival was witnessed by an English traveller in 1877. On the last Sunday of the carnival, a grand procession of infantry, cavalry, and maskers of many sorts, some on horseback and some in carriages, escorted the grand car of his grace, Pau Pai, as the effigy was called, in triumph through the principal streets. For three days, the revelry ran high, and then at midnight, on the last day of the carnival, the same procession again wound through the streets, but under a different aspect and for a different end the triumphal car was exchanged for a hearse in which reposed the effigy of Easter grace a troop of muskerers who in the first position played the part of students of folly with many a merry quip and jest now robed as priests and bishops paced slowly along holding aloft huge lighted tapers and singing a dirge all the mummers wore a crape and all the horsemen carried blazing flambeaux down the high street between the lofty many-storied and balconied houses where every window every balcony every house housetop was crammed with a dense mass of spectators all dressed and masked in fantastic gorgeousness the procession took its melancholy way over the scene flashed and played the shifting cross lights and shadows from the moving torches red and blue bengal lights flared up and died out again and above the trampling of the horses and the measured tread of the marching multitude rose the voices of the priests chanting the requiem while the military band struck in with the solemn roll of the muffled drums on reaching the principal square the procession halted a burlesque funeral oration was pronounced over the defunct pao and the lights were extinguished immediately the devil and his angels darted from the crowd seized the body and fled away with it hardly pursued by the whole multitude yelling screaming and cheering naturally the fiends were overtaken and dispersed and the sham corpse rescued from their clutches was laid in a grave that had been made ready for its reception. Thus the carnival of eighteen seventy seven and the reader died and was buried. Funeral of the Carnival in France. A ceremony of the same sort is observed in Provence on Ash Wednesday. An effigy called Caramantran, whimsically attired, is drawn in a chariot or borne on a litter, accompanied by the populace in grotesque costumes, who carry gourds full of wine and drain them with all the marks Real or affected of intoxication at the head of the procession are some men disguised as judges and barristers and a tall gaunt personage who masquerades as lent behind them follow young people mounted on miserable hacks and attired as mourners who pretend to bewail the fate there is in store for karamantran in the principal square the procession halts the tribunal is constituted and caramanran placed at the bar after a formal trial he ascends to death amid the groans of the mob the barrister who defended him embraces his client for the last time the officers of justice do their duty the condemned is set with his back to a wall and hurried into eternity under a shower of stones the sea or a river receives his mangled remains at lusak in the department of yen young people attired in long morning robes and with woebegone countenances carry an effigy down to the river on ash Wednesday and throw it into the river crying carnival's dead carnival's dead throughout nearly the whole of the Ardennes, it was and still is customary on Ash Wednesday to burn an effigy which is supposed to represent the carnival while appropriate verses are sung round about the blazing figure very often an attempt is made to fashion the effigy in the likeness of the husband who is reputed to be least faithful to his wife or of any in the village as might perhaps have been anticipated the distinction of being selected for portraiture under these painful circumstances has a slight tendency to breed domestic jars especially when the portrait is burned in front of the house of the gay deceiver whom it represents while a powerful chorus of casual groans and other melodious sounds bears public testimony to the opinion which his friends and neighbours entertain of his private virtues execution of shrove tuesday in the ardennes and Comde. in some villages of the ardennes a young man of flesh and blood dressed up in hay and store used to read the part of shrove tuesday Mardi Gras as a personification of the carnival is often called in france after the last day of the period which he personates he was brought well before a mock tribunal and being condemned to death was placed with his back to a wall like a soldier at a military execution and fired at with blank cartridges Vigny-aux-Bois one of these harmless buffoons named Thierry was accidentally killed by a wad that had been left in the musket of the firing party when poor Shrove Tuesday dropped under the fire the applause was loud and long he did it so naturally but when he did not get up again they ran to him and found him a corpse since then there have been no more of these mock executions in the Ardennes in French comte people used to make an effigy of Shrove Tuesday on Ash-Wednesday and carried about the streets to the accompaniment of songs, when they brought it to the public square, where the offender was tried in front of the town hall. Judges muffled in old red curtains and holding big books in their hands pronounced sentence of death. The mode of execution varied with the place. Sometimes it was burning, sometimes drowning, sometimes decapitation. In the last case, the effigy was provided with tubes of blood which spouted gore at the critical moment, making a profound impression on the minds of children some of whom wept bitterly at the sight. Meantime, the onlookers uttered piercing cries, and appeared to be plunged in the deepest grief. The proceedings generally wound up in the evening with a ball, which the unmarried people were obliged to provide for the public entertainment. Otherwise, their slumbers were apt to be disturbed by the discordant notes of a cat's concert chanting under their windows. Burial of Shrove Tuesday in Normandy In Normandy, on the evening of Ash Wednesday, it used to be the custom to hold a celebration called the Burial of Shrove Tuesday. A squalid effigy scantily clothed in rags, a battered old hat crushed down on his dirty face, his great round paunch stuffed with straw, representing the disreputable old rake who, after a long course of dissipation, was now about to suffer for his sins. hoisted on the shoulders of a sturdy fellow who pretended to stagger under the burden. This popular personification of the carnival promenaded the streets for the last time in a manner the reverse of triumphal. Preceded by a drummer and accompanied by a jeering rabble, among whom the urchins, and all the rag-tag and bobtail of the town mustered in great force, the figure was carried about by the flickering light of torches to the discordant din of shovels and tongs, pots and pans, horns and kettles, mingled with hootings, groans and hisses. From time to time the procession halted, and a champion of morality accused the broken-down old sinner of all the excesses he had committed and for which he was now about to be burned alive the culprit having nothing to urge in his own defence was thrown on a heap of straw a torch was put to it and a great blaze shot up to the delight of the children who frisked round it screaming out some old popular verses about the death of the carnival sometimes the effigy was rolled down the slope of a hill before being burnt burning shrove tuesday at st at Saint-Louis, the ragged effigy of Shrove Tuesday was followed by his widow, a big burly lout dressed as a woman with a crape veil, who emitted sounds of lamentation and woe in a stentorian voice. After being carried about the streets on a litter attended by a crowd of muskers, the figure was thrown into the river Vere. The final scene has been graphically described by Madame Octave Feulet as she witnessed it in her childhood some fifty years ago. My parents invited friends to see, from the top of the tower of Jeanne coulard the funeral procession passing. It was there, that quaffing lemonade, the only profession allowed because of the fast, we witnessed that nightfall, a spectacle of which I shall always preserve, a lively recollection. At our feet flowed the vire under its old stone bridge. On the middle of the bridge lay the figure of Shrove Tuesday on a litter of leaves, surrounded by scores of muskers dancing, singing and carrying torches. Some of them, in their motley costumes, ran along the parapet-like fiends. The rest, worn out with their revels, sat on the posts and dozed. Soon the dancing stopped, and some of the troop, seizing a torch, set fire to the effigy, after which they flung it into the river with redoubled shouts and clamour. The man of store, soaked with prison, floated away burning down the stream of the fire, lighting up with its funeral fires the woods on the bank of the battlements of the old castle in which Louis XI and Francis I had slept. When the last glimmer of the blazing phantom had vanished like a falling star at the end of the valley, everyone withdrew, crowd and muskers alike, and we quitted the ramparts with our guests. As we returned home, my father sang gaily the old popular song. Shrove Tuesday is dead and his wife has got his shabby pocket handkerchief and his cracked old pot. Sing high, sing low. Shrove Tuesday will come back no more. He will come back. He will come back, we cried warmly, clapping our hands. And he did come back next year, and I think I should see him still if, after the lapse of half a century, I returned to the land of my birth Burial of Shrove Tuesday or the Carnival in Brittany Upper Brittany, the burial of Shrove Tuesday or the Carnival is sometimes performed in a ceremonious manner. Four young fellows carry a stall man or one of their companions and are followed by a funeral procession. A show is made of depositing their pretended corpse in the grave, out of which the bystanders make believe to mourn, carrying out in melancholy tones, Ah, my poor little Shrove Tuesday. The boy who played the part of Shrove Tuesday bears a name for the whole year. At Lesnevin in Old Brittany, it was formerly the custom on Ashwin's day to burn a straw man covered in rags after he had been promenaded about the town. He was followed by a representative of Shrove Tuesday clothed with sardines and cod's tails. At Pontaven in Finistere, an effigy representing the carnival used to be thrown from the quay into the sea on the morning of Ash Wednesday. At La Rochelle, the porters and sailors carried about a man of stall representing Shrove Tuesday, then burned on Ash Wednesday and flung the ashes into the sea. In Saint Tong and Ornis, which correspond roughly to the modern departments of Chalent, children used to drown or burn a figure of the carnival on the morning of Ash Wednesday. The beginning of Lent in England was formerly marked by a custom which has now fallen into disuse. A figure made up of straw and cast-off clothes was drawn or carried through the streets amid much noise and merriment, after which it was either burnt, shot at, or thrown down a chimney. This image went by the name of Jack Lent and was by some supposed to represent Judas Iscariot. Burying the Carnival in Germany and Austria. A bohemian form of the customer burying the carnival has been already described. The following Swabian form is obviously similar. In the neighbourhood of Tubenden, on Shrove Tuesday, a straw man called the Shroventide Bear is made up. He is dressed in a pair of old trousers and a fresh black pudding or two squirts filled with blood are inserted in the neck. After a formal condemnation, he is beheaded, laid in a coffin and on Ash Wednesday is buried in the churchyard this is called bearing the carnival amongst some of the saxons of transylvania the carnival is hanged thus at brallo on ash wednesday or shrove tuesday two white and two chestnut horses draw a sledge on which is placed a straw man swathed in a white cloth beside him is a card wheel which is kept turning round two lads disguised as old men follow the sledge lamenting the rest of the village lads mounted on horseback and decked with ribbons accompany the procession which is headed by two girls crowned with evergreen and drawn in a wagon or a sledge a trial is held under a tree at which last disguised as soldiers pronounced sentence of death the two old men try to rescue the store man and to fly with him but to no purpose he is caught by the two girls and handed over to the executioner who hangs him on a tree in vain the old men try to climb up the tree and take him down they always tumble down and last in despair they throw themselves on the ground and weep and howl for the hanged man an official then makes a speech in which he declares that the carnival was condemned to death because he had done them harm by wearing out their shoes and making them tired and sleepy at the burial of carnival in le Crane, a man dressed as a woman in black clothes is carried on a litter or bier by four men he is lamented over by men disguised as women in black clothes then thrown down before the village dungheap drenched with water buried in the dungheap and covered with straw similarly in Near Schomberg, the carnival Schwerteid fool was carried all about the village on a bier, preceded by a man dressed in white and followed by a devil who was dressed in black and carried chains, which he clanked. One of the train collected gifts. After the procession, the fowl was buried on a store and dung. In rottweil the carnival fool is made drunk on Ash Wednesday and buried on a store amid loud lamentation. In Wormelingen. The fool is represented by a young fellow enveloped in straw, who is led about the village by a rope as a bear. On shrove Tuesday and the preceding day. He dances to the flute. Then on Ash Wednesday, a straw man is made, placed on a trowel, carried out of the village to the sound of drums and mournful music, and buried in a field. In Old and Wergarten, on Ash Wednesday, the fool, represented by a straw man, is carried about and then thrown into the water to the accompaniment of melancholy music. In other villages of Swabia, the part of fool is played by a live person, who is thrown to the water after being carried about in procession. At Barway in Westphalia, a straw man is made on Shrove Tuesday and thrown to the river amid rejoicings. This is called, as usual, burying the carnival. A burger in Bavaria. It used to be customary, as a public pastime, to hold a sort of court of justice on Ash Wednesday. The accused was a straw man on whom was laid the burden of all the notorious transgressions that had been committed in the course of the year. Twelve chosen maidens sat in judgment and pronounced sentence, and a single advocate pleaded the cause of the public scapegoat. Finally, the effigy was burnt, and thus all the offences that had created a scandal in the community during the year were symbolically atoned for. We can hardly doubt that this custom of burying a straw man on Ash Wednesday for the sins of a whole year is only another form of the custom observed on the same day in so many other places of bearing an effigy which is supposed to body, and to be responsible for the excesses committed during the license of the carnival Bearing the carnival in greece in greece a ceremony of the same sort was witnessed at pylos by mr e l tilton in eighteen ninety five on the evening of the first day of the great lent which fell that year on the twenty-fifth of february An with a grotesque mask for a face was borne about the streets on a bier, preceded by a mock priest with long white beard. Other functionaries surrounded the bier and two torch-bearers walked in advance. The procession moved slowly to melancholy music played by a pipe and drum. A final halt was made in the public square, where a circular space was kept clear of the surging crowd. Here a bonfire was kindled and round the priests led a wild dance to the same droning music. When the frenzy was at its height, the chief performer put toe on the effigy and set it to fire, and while it blazed and resumed his mad career, branching torches and tearing off his venerable beard to add fuel to the flames. Estonian Custom on Shrove Tuesday On the evening of Shrove Tuesday, the Estonians made a store for her called Metzik, or Wood Spirit, One year is dressed with a man's coat and hat, next year with a hood and petticoat. The figure is struck on a long pole, carried across the boundary of the village with loud cries of joy, and fastened at the top of a tree in the wood. The ceremony is believed to be a protection against all kinds of misfortune. Resurrection enacted in these ceremonies. Sometimes, at the Shroventide or Lenten ceremonies, the resurrection of the pretended dead person is enacted. Thus, in some parts of Swabia, on Shrove Tuesday, Dr. Beard professes to bleed a sick man who thereupon falls, as dead, to the ground. But the doctor at last restores him to life by blowing air into him through a tube. In the Harrods Mountains, when a carnival is over, a man is laid on a baking trowel and carried with dirges to a grave. But in the grave, a glass of brandy is buried instead of the man. A speech is delivered, and the people return to the village green or meeting place, where they smoke the long clay pipes which are distributed at funerals. On the morning of shrove Tuesday in the following year, the brandy is dug up, and the festival begins, by every one tasting the spirit which, as the phrase goes, has come to life again. Part 4. Carrying Out Death Carrying Out Death in Bavaria the ceremony of carrying out death presents much the same features as bearing the carnival, except that the carrying out of death is generally followed by a ceremony, or at least accompanied by a profession, of bringing in summer, spring or life. Thus in Middle Franken, a province of Bavaria, on the fourth Sunday of Lent, the village urchins used to make a store of death, which they carried about with burlesque pomp through the streets, and afterwards burned with loud cries beyond the bounds the frankish custom is thus described by a writer of the sixteenth century at mid lent the season when the church bids us rejoice the young people of my native country make a straw image of death and fasten it to a bowl carried with sheets to the neighbouring villages by some they kindly receive after being refreshed with milk peas and dried pears the usual food of that season are sent home again others however treat them with anything but hospitality for looking on them as hubbringers of misfortune to it of death they drive them from their boundaries with weapons and insults in the villages near Erlangen when the fourth sunday in lent came round the peasant girls used to dress themselves in all their finery with flowers in their hair thus attired they repaired to the neighbouring town carrying puppets which were adorned of leaves and covered with white clothes these they took from house to house in pairs stopping at every door where they expected to receive something and sing a few lines in which they announced that it was mid-lent and that they were about to throw death into the water when they had collected some trifling gratitudes they went to the river regnitz and flung the puppets representing death into the stream this was done to ensure a fruitful and prosperous year further it was considered a safeguard against pestilence and sudden death and nuremberg girls of seven to eighteen years of age go through the streets bearing a little open coven in which is a doll hidden under a shroud others carry a breech branch with an apple fastened to it for a head in an open box. They sing, We carry death into the water, it is well, or We carry death into the water, carry him in and out again. In other parts of Bavaria, the ceremony took place on the Saturday before 5th Sunday in Lent, and the performers were boys or girls according to the sex of the last person who died in the village. The figure was thrown into water or buried in a secret place, for example in a moss in the forest, that no one might find death again. Then early on Sunday morning, the children went from house to house singing a song in which they announced the glad tidings that death was gone. In some parts of Bavaria down to 1780, it is believed that a fatal epidemic would ensue if the custom of carrying out death were not observed. Carrying out death in Thuringia. In some villages of Thuringia, on the fourth Sunday of Lent, the children used to carry a puppet of birch and twigs through the village, then threw it into a pool. While they sing, We carry the old death out behind the herdsman's old house. We have got Summer and Croden's powers destroyed. At Debschwitz or Dubschwitz near Gera. The ceremony of driving out death is or was annually observed on the first of March. The young people make up a figure of straw or the like materials, dress it in old clothes which they have begged from houses in the village, and carried it out and throw it into the river. On returning to the village they break the good news to the people and receive eggs and other victuals as a reward the ceremony is or was supposed to purify the village and to protect the inhabitants from sickness and plague in other villages of Thuringia, in which the population was originally slavonic the carrying out of the puppet is accompanied with the singing of a song which begins now we carry death out of the village and spring into the village at the end of the seventeenth and beginning of the eighteenth century the custom was observed in thuringia as follows the boys and girls made an effigy of straw or the like materials but the shape of the figure varied from year to year in one year it would represent an old man in the next an old woman in the third a young man and the fourth a maiden and the dress of the figure varied with the character it personated there used to be a sharp contest as to where the effigy was to be made for the people thought that the house from which it was carried forth would not be visited with death a year. Having been made, the puppet was fastened to a pole and carried by a girl who represented an old man, but by a boy who represented an old woman. Thus, it was borne in procession. The young people holding sticks in their hands and seeing that they were driving at death. When they came to water, they threw the effigy into it and ran hastily back, fearing they might jump up on their shoulders and wring their necks. They also took care not to touch it lest it should dry them up on their return they beat the cattle with the sticks believing that this would make the animals fat or fruitful afterwards they visited the house or houses from which they carried the image of death which they received a doll of half boiled peas the custom of carrying out death was practised also in saxony at Leipzig, the bastards and public women used to make a straw effigy of death every year at mid-lent this they carried through all the streets with songs and showed it to the young married women. Finally, they threw it into the river Parthe. By this ceremony, they professed to make the young wives fruitful, to purify the city and protect the inhabitants for that year from plague and other epidemics. Carrying out Death in Silesia Ceremonies of the same sort are observed at mid-Lent in Silesia. Thus in many places the grown girls, with the help of the young men, dress up a straw figure with women's clothes and carry it out of the village towards the setting sun. At the boundary they strip it of its clothes, tear it in pieces and scatter the fragments about the fields. This is called burying death, as they carry the image out, they sing that they are about to bury death under an oak, that he may depart from the people. Sometimes the song runs that they are burying death over hill and dale to return no more. In the polish neighbourhood of gros Strelitz, the puppet is called goik it is carried on horseback and thrown into the nearest water the people think that the ceremony protects them from every sort in the coming year in the districts of holau and gorau the image of death used to be thrown over the boundary of the next village but as the neighbours feared to receive the ill figure they were on the lookout to repel it and hard knocks were often exchanged between the two parties in some polish parts of Upper Silesia. The effigy, representing an old woman, goes by the name of Marzana, the goddess of death. It is made in the house where the last death occurred, and is carried on a pole to the boundary of the village, where it is thrown into a pond or burnt. At Polkwitz, the custom of carrying out death fell into abeyance, but an outbreak of fatal sickness which followed the intermission of the ceremony induced the people to resume it. Some of the Moravians of Silesia make three puppets on this occasion, One represents a man, another a bride, and the third a bridesmaid. The first is carried by the boys, the last two by the girls. Formerly these effigies were torn to pieces at a brook, now they are brought home again. In this last custom, two of the figures are clearly conceived as bride and bridegroom. Carrying out death in Bohemia In Bohemia, the children go out with a straw man, representing death, to the end of the village, where they burn it, singing... Now we carry we death out of the village, the new summer into the village. Welcome, dear summer, green little corn. At Tabor in Bohemia, the figure of death is carried out of the town and flung from a high rock into the water while they sing, Death swims on the water, summer will soon be here. We carry death away for you, We the summer, and do thou, O holy marquetta give us a good year for wheat and for rye. In other parts of Bohemia, they carry death to the end of the village, singing, We carry death out of the village, and the new year into the village. Dear spring, we bid you welcome. Green grass, we bid you welcome. By the village they erect a pyre, which they burn the store vigor, reviling and scoffing at it the while, then they return, singing, We have carried away death, and brought life back. He has taken up his quarters in the village, therefore, sing joyous songs carrying out death in Moravia. In some German villages of Moravia, as in Chesnitz and Seitendorf, the young folk assemble on the third Sunday in Lent and fashion a straw man who is generally adorned with a fur cap and a pair of old leathern hose. It is such hard to be had. The effigy is then hoisted on a pole and carried by the lads and lasses out into the open fields. On the way they sing a song in which it is said that they are carrying death away and bring dear summer into the house, and with summer the May and the flowers. On reaching an appointed place they dance in a circle round the effigy with loud shouts and screams, then suddenly a rush at it and tear it to pieces with their hands. Lastly the pieces are thrown together in a heap, the bowl is broken, and fire is set to the hole. While it burns the troop dances merrily round it, rejoicing at the victory won by spring. When the fire is nearly died out, they go to the householders to beg for a present of eggs wherewith to hold a feast, taking care to give as a reason for the request they have carried death out and away. The Evagy of Death Feared and Abhorred The preceding evidence shows that the Evagy of Death is often regarded with fear and true to the marks of hatred and abhorrence. Thus the anxiety of the villagers to transfer the figure from their own to their neighbour's land and the reluctance of the latter to receive the ominous guest are proof enough of the dread which it inspires. Further in Musadia and Silesia, the puppet is sometimes made to look in at the window of a house, and is believed that someone in the house will die within the year, unless his life is redeemed by the payment of money. Again, after throwing the Epogee away, the bearers sometimes run home, lest death should follow them, and if one of them falls in running, it is believed that he will die within the year. At Trodim, in Bohemia, the figure of death is made out of a cross, with a head and mast stuck at the top, and a shirt stretched out on it. On the fifth Sunday in Lent, the boys take this effigy to the nearest brook or pool, and standing in a throw throat, into the water. Then they all plunge in after it, but as soon as it is caught, no one more may enter the water. The boy who did not enter the water or entered at last will die within the year, and is obliged to carry the death back to the village. The effigy is then burned on the other hand it is believed that no one will die within the year in the house out of which the figure of death has been carried and the village out of which death has been driven is sometimes supposed to be protected against sickness and plague in some villages of Austria and silesia on the saturday before dead sunday the is made of old clothes hay and straw for the purpose of driving death out of the village on sunday the people armed with sticks and straps assembled for the house where the figure is lodged Four lads then draw the effigy by cords through the village and exultant shouts while all the others beat it with their sticks and straps on reaching a field which belongs to a neighbouring village. they lay down the figure, cudgel it soundly, and scatter fragments over the field. The people believe that the village from which death has thus been carried out will be safe from any infectious disease for the whole year in Slavonia. The figure of death is cudgelled and then rent in two in Poland the effigy of hemp and straw is slung into a pool of swamp with the words the devil take thee end of section 12